We were wary of the Bureau, my brother and I, even though it was ours now and we could do what we liked with it. There was no one to stop us anymore. No mum, no dad, no rules. Yet so much of the Bureau had been a forbidden zone for such a long time. The administrative heart of our family home at number 18 Clyde Terrace Muir House Motherwell ML12NG. My parents had bought the Bureau when they first got married and set up home on Empress Avenue in Romford, Essex at the start of the 1960s. It had made the journey with them up to Thistle Street, Motherwell, Lanarkshire, less than a year later. That was where we lived when I was born. Four more years, and it had travelled another couple of miles to Shields Drive, Muir House, Motherwell, and the birth of my younger brother David. Another six years, and another few hundred yards, and the Bureau, along with its complete and perfect nuclear family, had reached Clyde Terrace, where it stayed for almost five decades, before it headed back the way it had come and moved in with me in London. At the time of their marriage, as the swinging 60s began, my parents had embraced the modern, and the Bureau is now quite the hipster accoutrement. For us, though, it was so much more than a stylish piece of furniture. It was our tabula rasa, the place where the evidence of our family's transactions with officialdom was filed. It was made by Avalon, a furniture company based in Somerset that folded years ago. No build quality, the experts say. Not in quite the same league as G-Plan. You can still buy the same model, vintage, for around £120. For ages, it lurked at the top of the family home, as it was always called in the divorce proceedings. It sat in the corridor, outside the bedrooms of my two sons. It straightened circumstances, forcing it to take in washing, or at least provide a flat surface to receive rumpled piles of the boys' laundered clothes. How the mighty pieces of furniture have fallen. The Bureau, like all three of my childhood homes, was the unchallenged domain of my mother, scrupulously well-organised and governed by a surprisingly complex web of boundaries. The upper of the two drawers on the right was accessible to everyone, full of useful things, like scissors. The lower drawer was set aside for things that weren't important enough to go in the pigeonhole-lined section behind the flap on the left, but were still important. We kids would have little need to look in there, in theory at least, and we knew it. A display section underneath, with two sliding glass doors, had initially housed the best china. We both knew never to slide those glass doors open, like we knew never to pull down the flap without specific permission. But the possibility of hidden useful things like sellotape, tipex, quink, or as the white heat of technology seared through our lives some blue tack, meant we flouted the flap rule fairly often. Far more often than Dad, for sure. John never delved behind the flap in the bureau. Wynne handled all the household's paperwork, writing in her neat cursive script, 
or her neat block capitals. He would add his impressive signature where she told him to put it. The rules were wins and the power, but John tended to be the enforcer. Mostly, he would use a couple of his many nicknames for us when he was guarding the bureau, which was a familiar signal of a ritual rather than a serious warning. Was he sending her up? Maybe. A bit. Annie, what are you doing in that bureau? 